Okay, time to get started. I know you're all excited and abuzz that my Kansas Jayhawks beat Boston College Friday night, and you're just all on pins and needles waiting to see what the season will hold. You probably couldn't care less about Kansas football, could you? So you must be excited for another reason. Okay. Okay, you ready to go? Let's get started. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, give us an increase of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you have commanded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Did you catch the phrase there at the the last part of the collect of the day, the prayer that is set for this week, make us love what you have commanded. Make us love the law. Psalm 1 talks about a man whose delight is in thee, and the translation is law of God. Blessed is the man who walks in the way, the law of God. The law is often translated as Torah, Okay. Um, but what we're going to hear today from Professor Marquardt in our book, The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People, uh, is he's going to start off by going into third use of the law, which is often misunderstood. And third use is the guide, right? So let's do a little bit of review here. Um, no, go back to what I had you put up. So just a summary from what we've learned. The law, God wants us to keep the law perfectly, right? So early service people... You got this clearly from Jesus, what he says, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So God wants to keep the law perfectly, but we have a problem. We have what's called a sinful nature, correct? And that's always with us. A sinful nature is not something you're going to get rid of this side of Judgment Day, this side of the new heaven and the new earth. It's the reason we get sick. It's the reason people die. It's the reason your life probably hasn't worked out perfectly like you originally planned. There's probably been bumps in the road, right? Okay? So God says, do this. And then we have the sinful nature, which now leads to condemnation under the law. Because we can't do it. Keep the Ten Commandments? Can you keep them perfectly? You might do pretty good for about 30 seconds. And then you think about something. And remember what Jesus said, even a man who thinks about a woman or looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery. You're like, whoa, that's tough. We had this tough lesson this last week here with our 7th and 8th graders. And as we're going through it, uh, they're like, whoa. And they're all looking at me like, how are we supposed to do that, Pastor? And I'm like, well, he says do it, but he also knows that that's your nature, that's your problem, which is exactly why he sends a Savior, right? So Jesus Christ, the name Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Joshua, Savior, Christ, he who is anointed. So there is one who will come that has been appointed for this task, of saving and rescue, rescuing you and me, go back up, because we are condemned, right? 
So God wants us to keep the law perfectly in our thoughts, our desires, our words, and our deeds. But the problem is our thoughts, desires, words, and deeds are sinful. Now, some Christians don't start there, and that gets to be a real problem. Okay, if you think you can climb Jacob's ladder, or you think that you can just keep getting better and better and holier and holier, watch out. Because you will fall. You will slip up. Okay? So, condemned is what we are. But, and this is the gospel now, Jesus now kept the law perfectly in our place. So, thought, word, and deed... Loving his neighbor as himself, right? No greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his brother, right? For his fellow man. And Jesus did exactly that. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only son, right? So Jesus now not only keeps the law perfectly by doing it, never breaking any of the commandments, Always putting his neighbor first, right? Jesus turns the other cheek. Can you turn your other cheek? Probably not. Matter of fact, seventh and eighth graders, they kind of they quizzed me. They said, well, okay, pastor, so what if somebody comes into your house and tries and robs you? And I said, well, am I, am I family there? Because if my family's there, then my job is to protect the family, right? But if it's just me, how am I supposed to act? Should I automatically gun him down once he steps foot on my property? I'd be within my rights to do that. Now, this poses an interesting Christian ethical question, does it not? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, as Jesus says, what does that mean? That I should be concerned about this guy or this gal is trying to harm me. Because Jesus says, give your neighbor everything they want or need. And you're like, I'm not doing that. And I can't tell you that I would do that. I would like to say that, you know, that I would be more concerned with someone who is trying to harm me, but I can tell you from past experience that if someone comes at me, my first reaction is what? And that's my sinful nature. Jesus doesn't do that. When they come at him in the garden, what does he do? Peter draws the sword, cuts off Malchus's ear, and what does Jesus say? All the rest of you draw your swords and get in a circle around me, right? We're going to be like the, the, uh, the Roman centurions, right? Where they, they get in a circle. Or they're, they're, they're in the arena, right? And they're, they're battling back to back, right? So they can see all the way around. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He says, put your sword away. And he allows himself to be taken captive. Okay? So... Just think through some of that, okay? When we talk about protection of weak and innocent, Scripture absolutely calls for that, to protect others from harm and danger. If it's just yourself, and I have a hard time looking at my wife and telling her this, right? So th this is so difficult for us as Christians to understand it, but again, it all comes down to trusting in what God has done and will do through Jesus Christ. And Marquardt is going to hammer that point home today of where our faith resides and how we place our trust for our future and our very physical well-being in what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. So Jesus keeps the law perfectly. His holy thoughts, desires, words, and deeds have now been credited to you. Everything he earned has been automatically deposited into your heavenly bank account. Okay? All of it that Jesus has earned is now yours. Okay? He's given it all to you freely. You haven't done a thing.
Okay? How do you get that? Baptism is a great, very specific way where that promise is given. Okay? Faith comes from hearing the Word of God, which is why we trust even little ones that don't understand the words that are coming out of our mouth yet. And Mark Hart's going to get on this as well. The Word of God is different from a Dr. Zeus story. And I love Dr. Zeus, by the way. Okay? Great stuff. But the Word of God is different from that. It's different from the Iliad. It's different from the Odyssey. It's different from your favorite author and your favorite book. Okay? And hang on to the why. Mark Wart's going to get to that today. Last review. Next slide, please. Further down. So the purpose of the law, we've talked about the curb. The curb, remember, uh, the first use of the law is that there is a curb there to define where you are to go. Right? That's why there's curbs on the street. They tell you where you can drive. Okay? And if you drive a jacked up truck with like 33 inch tires, these curbs may mean nothing to you. But if you decide to do that, don't be surprised if you see, you know, a bubblegum topper, a police officer pulling you over because you're supposed to stay in the street. Okay? Curbs also protect other people, not just telling you, protect people on the sidewalk or private property. Curbs also help, you know, if you, you ever seen a heavy rainstorm <laughs> and leaves, all that stuff will come down the gutter of the curb, right? So the curb is to keep everything orderly in life. And so that you may know this, this is the way, not that way, this is the way, right? Um, so I forget what street it is because there's construction on the south side and our, and our boys go down to, to high school, we have to get on to 65 when we come home instead of getting right on 465 uh, there at Emerson or whatever it is. And the next exit down on 65 past 465, if you're, if you're getting on to the north 65 entrance ramp, there's like this little median and it's not lit. And so when you get in the right-hand turn lane, this meeting is kind of low to the ground. And, and there, there's not a lot of good street lights there. And so if you don't see it, it's really easy to hit it, right? Which means you need to get in your lane ahead of time and not wait till the last minute. Well, we drove by one night a couple weeks ago, and there was a car, and this median is about like this wide. And there was a little, I don't know what it was, Honda Accord or something that literally had ramped right up on top of that, and it stuck the wheels are spinning. They can't go anywhere, right? And I drove by and I thought, what, a, what idiots? I mean, that was my first reaction, which is so sinful, right? But the more I drive by it, I'm like, yeah, I can see how that would happen. I mean, because it sits really low. They really need to do something about it. So they put some orange cones on, on it a little bit, but I don't know. It looks like it's been there a while, but, you know, so curbs are there for a reason. This is the way you can go. This is the way you can't, right? And if you ignore the curbs, you're going to get stuck, okay? Second, uh, the law works as a mirror, right? So you, ho you hold a mirror up and, you know, there might be a few times that you like what you see in a mirror, but let's be honest. Most of the time you look in the mirror, and I'm not just looking at the ladies, even the men, are, are you really completely satisfied? I mean, seriously? Probably not. Now, you might, you know, suffer from overconfidence and you think that you're God's gift to women or God's gift to men or your children or your co-workers or your work or whoever, but, you know, we're all sinners. And not only that, when you look in the mirror, you see the changes, whether it's weight gain, weight loss, gray hair, crow's feet, you know, I don't need to go on, do I? You get it. So the law shows us who we really are. It shows that we are so infected by sin 
that it affects our physical makeup and well-being. It doesn't matter how much Botox, how much, uh, oh, I remember when I was a little kid and uh, when I was very little before I went to school, mom would occasionally have soap operas on our little 13-inch black and white TV. And I remember this commercial that would, that would, that would come on. There were two commercials that were, came on all the time. And one of them was, a, was of a, 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 a woman. Uh, I think she was sitting in like a tub or something. Of course, this is back in the 80s, so you just see her head, right, and lots of bubbles. And it was something like, Calgon, take me away. You remember that one? Okay. And that was always followed by uh, Oil of Olay, right? <laughs> And they, they stick with me, I mean, like 35, 40 years later, right? And, and these things that you can do to find relaxation and peace and make your skin glow. And that way, when you look in the mirror, you just, you have such a healthy inside and a healthy perception of yourself. And that's a crock, people. It doesn't happen. Okay? Now, we're going to get into the third use today. All right? And that is guide. Now, there's been some... Uh, issues with the third use really throughout all of Christianity and, and people who have denied the third use have been labeled as false teachers or heretics because the law is there for a guide, right? It's not a how to get to heaven guide. It's how Jesus says you are to live your life, okay? But what you need to understand is that remember you are two people at the same time. You are old Adam and you are new Adam, okay? The old Adam especially needs the curb and the mirror. The new Adam especially needs the guide. Okay? So I want you to hang on to that. Now, if you want to do some more study on that, our own Mr. Monty Weimer, uh, about a week and a half ago, put together a little Bible study on Wednesday night on the third use of the law. And I'm going to set these up here on the chair after we're done. If you want to take one home, um, or you can email him and get extra copies. He did a really good job. Uh, he kind of, is Monty in here? Or is he teaching? Okay, so I, I, I don't want to say anything that, I, that he can't take back. Uh, but uh, he kind of struggled with the third use of the law, and he'll tell you that. And so he and I did a whole bunch of study of Scripture and the confessions, and he's like, light bulb moment, I never really got this third use of the law before. And then once he got it, if you know Monty, right? I mean, he's a scientist. You know, he's like, rah, 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 rah. he's like a pit bull. <laughs> And that's why I called him out on doing the Bible study that one Wednesday night, uh, which is really good. So if the third use is confusing to you, email me or grip, grab Monty's thing and we'll talk a little about it. Okay? But we're not antinomians, meaning we're not against the law. Okay? Uh, we delight in the law of God. Okay? At least the new man in you does. The new Adam in you, the new man, wants to please God. It's the same part of you that, that you know, wants your your spouse to say, good job, honey, or I'm proud of you. The same one that, you know, you, you want your parents and your teachers and your coaches to say, well done, right? Uh, or even you might say the part of you that, uh, you know, not necessarily wants to be acknowledged, but you, wa you want to do the right thing, right? Now, there's also a sinner in you that wants everybody to say, you're the bomb, <laughs> right? Watch out for that guy <laughs> or that gal, Okay. Um, so, but you want to please, you want to do right, okay? Um, so, okay, any questions on that? Let's get into Marquardt, and I've got a bunch of highlights for you uh, kind of here this week uh, to get us into that. Uh, we kind of uh, finished up there on the God's Alien work. 
to spare the patient is to be cruelly kind. So we're on page 76 if you're with us in the book. If you got the Kindle edition, I can't tell you what it is. You got to mess with their settings. But uh, let's, uh, let's get started. So we're finally the law functions. So go down one more. I think you got one more, son. One more. Right there. Here we go. You ready? Any questions before we jump into Marquardt based on what I said? Okay. All right. Finally, the law functions also as a rule or guide for the behavior of Christians. This is the law's so-called third use. If it were not for this guidance from the Ten Commandments, as explained throughout the New Testament, we might invent all sorts of exotic performances and imagine them to be God-pleasing. Now, keep in mind, that's exactly what uh, the... <laughs> that's exactly what God's people did when they were taken away into the Babylonian captivity, okay? both northern and southern kingdom. So they get hauled away from, from the Bible lands as we know it. The temple is desecrated. They're stuck in, in Babylon, if you will, and you know, they don't have all their stuff. So they base, this is where Judaism, by the way, really was kind of invented. Okay? So they invent now all of these, these law codes. And there's 612, 613, and the rabbis down the road after that continue to spell that out. And that's why it's kind of hard to pinpoint Jews today in terms of, um, you know, you, you, you've got kind of your, you know, traditional Jews, if you will. You've got Orthodox Jews, and you've got Reformed Jews, and Reformed Jews are just all over the map. I've heard some really goofy, weird things from Reformed Jews, um, but they go by a different law. Okay, it's not just the Ten Commandments. They needed more than that. So, hey, 612. Yeah, that's pretty good. So they invented all these laws. And this is what they're calling Jesus on when he's going around with his disciples, right? Uh, eating on the Sabbath. I mean, doing some other things. I mean, they're just pestering Jesus constantly with, you know, man, you know, he's obviously not like us, right? And so they've invented now all these laws thinking that by doing them, they will please God. Okay, now, now, now pay attention to this because Christians can fall into this trap, inventing new laws of things you must do, right? So we're going to have a capital campaign to, I don't know, fill in the blank, okay? Uh, we're going to build, a, you know, we could fit a, probably a, a small par three right out there in the, uh, you know, we should do that. And now what I could do is I could say, hey, we're going to put a little par three in there, and that's going to be our way of reaching out to the community uh, and, and all of that. And uh, so we're going to start a capital campaign, and, uh, and everybody needs to give $25. And if you don't give $25, you're being a bad Christian. And what have I just done? You don't love Jesus. You don't care about the people across the street who might be interested in coming to play golf. And oh, by the way, we can tell them about Jesus when we hand them a golf ball. Now, I've invented a new law, haven't I? And then I make you feel bad that you haven't done what? Given your money, you know, offered to mow the lawn. That's new law. That's new law. So you got to be very careful about this. Okay? I watched an hour and 20-minute service from Trader's Point from two weeks ago. <laughs> and Pastor Aaron is the lead pastor. And I'll send you the link if you want to watch it. And in his, quote, sermon, he um, basically tries to explain why they worship the way they do, okay? So, obviously, they're a happy, clappy church. Um, I mean, literally. 
and he tries to justify from Scripture that the way you worship is dancing and clapping and hand-raising. He goes so far in his sermon to say, if you're not doing that, you're not being a good Christian. That's new law. And I can refute everything he says from Scripture. Okay, it's really bad exegesis from Hebrew. And I might even email him and talk to him, but I'm not sure if he'll want to talk to me. All right, I mean, he, he after all, he, senior pastor, like a 10,000-member church, plus several thousand on the website. I'm just a little parish pastor, right? Um, but, uh, I mean, that's new law, right? And so he talks about coming out of a tradition where he had a hymnal and they had pews and they were quiet and silent in church. I'm like, uh, duh, most high God who could like knock you down dead. And the first word in Hebrew basically means to bow down. The first word for worship means to bow down. It doesn't mean to stand up. Okay, uh, Mary and Martha, anyone? Okay, now I'm not going to go much further with that. We can talk more about that some other time. But what he, in effect, did in his, in his quote, sermon, which really wasn't a sermon because I never really got Jesus, okay, um, was basically to make a new law. You have to worship this way. So he goes so far to say, if you're having problems in life, if you're struggling with something, you need to worship your way through it. You may not feel like coming, dancing, and clapping your hands, but if you do that, you know, then you'll, you'll, you'll be blessed. It's a, just a load of, don't even get me started. I mean, it's new law, okay? So we're going to hear more about that. And if you struggle with some of that, and I get that, because I've been through some of that myself, and you say, well, you know, church just doesn't always make me feel, fill in the blank, you know, or I'm kind of confused about this, or, or my goodness, those Traders Point people or those people over there, they, they just seem so happy all the time. And they just, they've got such a good life going on. They're just on fire for Jesus, and I don't feel that way. Maybe I need to switch churches, or maybe I'm missing something, okay? If you're struggling with that, come talk to me. I'm not going to beat you over the head with a two-by-four. We'll examine Scripture. We'll look at that. Um, the devil is crafty. I'm just going to tell you. And he works really hard to get that old Adam in you focused on the wrong things. Okay? Okay. Back to Marquardt. If it were not for this guidance from the Ten Commandments, as explained uh, throughout the New Testament, we might invent all sort of exotic performances and imagine them to be God-pleasing. In one culture, it's actually considered an admirable discipline, for instance, to clench one's fist until the fingernails grow through the hand. I, I didn't have time to chase this down. Anybody know what culture that is? I assume it's got to be some sort of tribe, possibly in Asia or Africa or something like that. Okay, Marquardt doesn't provide a footnote on that. Um, if somebody's bored and wants to Google it, tell me afterwards. Okay, the Ten Commandments curb our zeal by showing us how God really wants to be served. Left to our own devices, also Christians as sinners are prone to confuse our own fancies with the will of God, Right? As Luther pointed out, it seems so much more exciting to perform some high-minded work of public virtue or solemn ritual than to do ordinary things like farming, building, cleaning, taking care of babies, and so on. Religion is often used as a pretext for escaping the humdrum obligations of daily life into something more glamorous and fulfilling. This is unhealthy, though. If we pay attention to God's will, quote, we shall have our hands full to keep these commandments practicing gentleness, patience, love toward enemies, chastity, kindness, etc. Thus saith Luther in his large catechism. 
okay? Luther's quote as well, and I share it quite a bit, is you know, even a, a housewife cleaning the floors in the kitchen or in the house is doing just as great uh, a work you know, as the pope himself or the emperor. Okay? You don't have to have a big salary or initials behind your name or any of these things to have God recognize what you're doing. Okay? What God has given you to do your daily tasks, right? So what do you got to do today? Oh, I got to go. Uh, what's the bald-headed guy with the cleaning stuff? Mr. Clean, you got to go do that to the toilet. Right? It needs to be done. And God says, that's a good work. That's a holy work. And you're like, <laughs> holy something. <laughs> right? And God says, that's a holy work. You doing the work you have to do. Okay? Work God giving you to do. Okay? Uh, you know, if you got kids, they're messy, man. And they're stinky. And they're a lot of work. And they keep you up at li- up night. And I'm not just talking about teenagers. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're all ages, <laughs> right? Uh, that's holy work, all right? You got stuff to do, you know, at your work, things that are required of you, and they're kind of mundane, and you got to file a report, that's holy work. You got to run carpool, you got to, we're not just talking about what you do for your neighbor, we're talking about what God has given you to do in your vocation. That's holy work. That's living a Christian life. We don't need to direct you or teach you as a church or as pastors to go find holy things to do for God. You're doing them every day. And see, that's gotten lost in Christianity as well. That's why Luther spends so much ink talking about vocation. Okay? Vocation. That which God has given you to do. Okay? So that you may recognize even just you know, doing the normal work is what God asks. So such things are less impressive than an ostentatious religiosity, but they are what God commands and blesses. Luther continues, the trivial round, the common task, will furnish all we ought to ask. So woe to us if we think that we can advance beyond the plain duties of God's commandments to nobler, worthier causes. God's guiding law punctures the balloons of our self-important and self-chosen religiousness and brings us back to God's earth, where for the time being we belong. What matters is not spectacular feats, but, let's read it together, faith expressing itself through love. Your faith expresses itself through love. Okay? Through the love of doing the work that you are given and called to do. Okay? So Christians need all three functions of the law, but only because they still have the sinful old nature within them. The new nature in us, let's read this together, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, right? And remember, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, kind of the linchpin passage, right, for us as Lutherans, although you need to know that, that most of the other Christian denominations claim this passage as well. And they should. It's God's word, right? For it has been by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not on account of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, do you know where we go in verse 10? For you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, sometimes that passage gets forgotten. So God saves you by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And what's his purpose now for you? To do good works. So we need to talk about this guide sort of thing. 
meaning what God has given you to do. If you're a husband, you've got some responsibilities. You might be shirking them. If you're a wife, same thing. That's why in the back of the catechism is the table of duties. If you haven't read through that in a while, it's really short, and it's actually all from Scripture. Luther just provides Scripture passages, right? What does an employer owe his, his or her employees? Okay? Uh, what do you owe the government? Okay? I mean, it just kind of goes, goes, goes down through it. Okay? All right? So, and, and also now, not just to do good works, but Ephesians 4.24, let's read it together. To be like God in true righteousness and holiness. No, wait a minute. How can I be like God in true righteousness and holiness? I'm a sinner. Okay, let's do a little review. In holy baptism, you are clothed, or actually a better word is covered, with the righteousness of who? Of Christ. It's the same reason that we as pastors, we don't have to do this, but we stand in pulpits, it hides us as a person. I could be a chancel prancer. I used to be. I could walk around and I could preach for my body. And I could totally do that and be comfortable doing that. And some of you would be like, hey, amen. Yay, he's coming out of his stuffy Lutheran shell, right? He's got a little swagger to him. Um, but the point of even like a pulpit is what? To cover up the man. So that you focus on what? The Word of God. Same reason, you know, I always joke about it, but why we wear dresses. <laughs> They have, they have Latin terms, okay? But we cover ourselves up, right? So you're not looking at, oh man, he's got some, he's got a nice new pair of slacks or, or look at those shirts that he's got, you know, and his cufflinks, and I don't wear cufflinks, but anyway, whatever. And you're like, man, he's styling, you know? It covers up the man. So that you, fo- you realize that he's standing there in the stead of Christ to absolve you, to forgive you, Right? He's staying there to do this work and your focus is on the fact that Christ is there. Now, it's the same thing for you in this life. You can't see your baptism. But what are you called, first and foremost, having faith in Jesus and being baptized? You're called a, what do people call us? Christians. Do you know what Christian means? Little Christ. Okay? Luther goes on to talk about the masks of God. Okay? So that we are now, what God has, in doing our regular vocation, our regular work, we are being like God in true righteousness and holiness, which means God is serving all his people, okay? I don't need to tell you to go out and tell everybody you can about Jesus, because that's actually not what God calls you to do. He calls you to go out and do your jobs. Be the best firefighter you can be. Captain, right? Aren't you a captain now? Chief, oh my goodness. He's not going to come help me with my concrete now, is he? Sorry, Chief. So you got people under you. you got a job to do, man. Your job isn't to, you know, to, to lead them in Bible studies. And your job is to, well, I don't know what your job is, but to keep them safe. You know, you got procedures. I mean, you got safety of the people under you. you got your work that the, the community, the city has called you to do. That's your job. Do that first. You catch that? So so people misunderstand this. And that's God doing a good work. That's God showing his love to all the people that you serve by being a chief. And I'm going to have to come visit you now because I'm kind of curious about what you do. (laughs) Okay. So, 
Uh, let's go back. The new nature in us, created in Christ Jesus, do good works, and to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, does not need to have the law presented in any of its uses. Animated by the life of Christ, this new nature spontaneously bears a precious harvest of the fruit of the Spirit, which is, let's read it together, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You picking up what Mark Hart's laying down? Because this is, this is pretty big. This is pretty big. Okay. So, let's go on from there. This new nature, however, does not exist by itself in a pure state, so to speak, during our earthly life. The concrete Christian person, right, poke yourself if you need to, you are saint and sinner at the same time. And we've talked about this already. Simul, justus et peccator. Okay, or peccator, depending on how you do your Latin pronunciation. But you're, you're, you're talking about two completely different things at the same time. Paradox, yes. It absolutely is a paradox. Just like body and blood being bread and wine. Okay? Just like, you know, water and the word being a life-giving baptism, but water in and of itself, just regular water. Okay? So you are saint and sinner at all time, is therefore always in need of the law. So you never get to a point where you don't need to hear the law. And that was really the problem with, you know, antinomians. I'm not going to go through the whole history of the Reformation or even before that or now since after that. But suffice it to say, if, if all you hear is gospel all the time from your church and your pastors, there's a good chance that they're antinomian in some way, shape, or form. Because the sinner in you needs to hear the law. You need to hear what it is that you're supposed to do. You need to be reminded of the Ten Commandments. Okay? Um, you know, and, and sometimes I find that kind of amazing. I mean, even how many Lutheran Christians don't know the Ten Commandments. I'm not singling anybody out, but it's not bad for you to review them. Okay? And that's kind of what we're, why we're doing what we're doing on Wednesday night. We're praying the Catechism. Okay? to refresh your memory, and also to help our youth, you know, learn it, okay? Yeah, it's a little rote, might be a little boring, but repetition is the mother of learning, right? You hear a song on the radio, you know, you have a, you, have a, you know, somebody becomes a friend of yours and they have a phrase that they say, you know, something kind of goofy, all of a sudden, you know, you start doing what? Saying the same thing, right? So if you move up north to Minnesota or Canada, you're going to learn, hey, sure, you betcha, right? Or whatever. Okay. All right. Don't throw anything at me, you northerners. I got family up there too. Okay. So the concrete Christian person, Satan and sinner at the same time, simul justus et peccator, is therefore always in need of the law. Christian's growing uh, new nature presently remains locked in combat with their declining old nature in a contest unto death. And that's the battle that was within you. Paul talks about this quite well. The good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, I keep on doing, right? <laughs> I'm screwed. And that's what he says. You know, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Here comes the gospel. Thanks be to God, you know, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ now, I have the victory. Okay, so that, that's where I turn, okay? And I continue to fight the battle. It's hard work, right? Remember Luther's three ways of studying Scripture, which really kind of define the Christian's life, okay? Uh, three Latin words, meditatio, which means meditate, 
okay? Uh, meditate uh, would be uh, study, think, use the brain God's given you, okay? Do that in your life, think through things, meditate upon them, oratio, which means basically think oral, it means to pray or to call out to God, okay? So make sure you're communicating with your uh, Heavenly Father, okay? Don't do it for the sake of other people. If, if you're someone that needs some sort of acknowledgement for your prayers, Jesus says, go in your room, close the door, and pray in private, okay? And that's why I always encourage, um, uh, encourage people, pray out loud as often as you can. There's something different. I mean, yes, you can pray in your heart and in your mind. I'm not saying you can't do that, right? I mean, before I preach every sermon, you know, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's my short little pre-sermon prayer, okay? Words of my mouth and also the meditations, right? So yeah, you have meditations, you have thoughts, and God, God can, you know, know all that, and he's the only one that knows all that. But he also wants you to call out to him. If you have the ability to speak, he loves to hear your voice. Think about it that way. If you've got kids, and you're asking your kids a question, and they respond, blah, 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 blah. speak up! <laughs> All right? <laughs> I mean, that's how you are as parents, right? Or, you, know, or you, you say something to them, and they, or they walk away. That's the worst. Then I want to get my two-by-four, right? <laughs> Don't be mumbling at me, you know, and walking away. If you've got something to say, you stand in front of me and you say it to my face, okay? If you've got the nerve, right? But and not just me, she... <laughs> you think I'm scary. <laughs> okay, so God, God wants you to speak clearly to Him, okay? So, I mean, when you're praying, I mean, yeah, get it all out. I mean, the, the first important thing is that you're communicating with Him. Okay? And you may not really know how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, Jesus teaches you Lord's Prayer. That's Jesus' answer to the disciples who say, we don't know how to pray. <laughs> you know, are we supposed to pray like we've seen the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they're standing on the corner and they got their prayer rugs and they're bowing a certain way or they're genuflecting? Jesus is like, dude, let me teach you. Our Father who art... I mean, he just goes right in the Lord's Prayer. So start with that. And then... You know, he knows everything anyway, so it's not like you're going to hide anything from him. Correct? So start talking to him. Do that privately, okay? I do that quite a bit. If you pass me driving down the highway sometimes, I'll be doing one of two things. I'll be singing to a song on the radio, okay? Or actually three things, okay? Or I'll have like a really angry expression on my face because I like to listen to PGA talk radio, and it, that gets me going sometimes. And, uh, or the third thing is you'll just see me kind of talking, and I guess I could be on the speakerphone thing, but I'll just kind of pray out loud, okay? Um, I mean, just, just do it. Got to have a little talk with God about stuff, okay? So it doesn't have to be formal in that way, okay? All right, let's get back here to, uh, to Mark Ward. Any questions or comments? You guys are such a quiet bunch. You just like to be entertained, don't you? Okay. <laughs> so the Pharisees imagined that religion turned on the law. That was it for them. To them, asking the question about the greatest commandment raised the ultimate issue. The Savior surprised them, though, by posing a question of his own when they thought that everything had been settled, right? So they want to know, what, what, what must we do to be saved? What's the greatest commandment, right? Just tell us, Jesus, we'll do that. 
And sometimes maybe, you know, you get to that point in communicating with your Heavenly Father. It's like, I don't know what else to do, God. I don't know what else to do. Just, just tell me the one thing to do, right? And I'll do it. Whatever you ask of me, God, just, just tell me and I'll do it. You ever been there before? I've been there. You're in some sticky wicket in your life and you're just like, just give me one thing that I can work hard at, that I can accomplish because I'm a, I'm a fixer, right? That's what I want to do. I want to I fix me and I want to fix my situation. And you know what Jesus says? What do you think about the Messiah? Jesus asks a question in return. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Jesus now is trying to focus you where? On him. Okay? Remember, as a sinner, you're a navel gazer, right? You've heard me use that before. And I got that term from my dear friend, uh, Reverend Brent Kuhlman. You're just always looking down at your own belly button. You're concerned about yourself more than you are other people. That's the sinner in you. That's what sinners do, okay? You're looking at yourself, you know, every time you, you walk by a mirror or something with a reflection, you're like, yeah, yeah, look at me, Jansen. Yeah, looking pretty good, right? Okay, that's the sinner in you. And Jesus wants you to take your eyes off yourself and even your problems, and instead put your eyes and your faith in Him. Stop saying, what can I do? And now turn in faith and trust to God. Okay? Now why do we do that? Let's get in the next section because it goes right there. The gospel is power. Words can carry powerful emotional charges. They can make us laugh or weep or buy one product rather than, one another, than another, which is why fortunes are spent on putting words together in precisely the right way. Right? You know, as I get older, I've, I've started to do something and I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it. When uh, I see something on TV that's like an emotional scene, I'm starting to get a little emotional. I'm not an emotional guy. <laughs> I mean, I see somebody, you know, like dying in someone's arms, or I see a mom or a dad that does something to their kids, and, you know, my, my tear ducts, they don't drip, but they just start to get a little wet. And I get this little catch in my throat, and I, I'm not used to that. And I'm a little, I feel like I should be embarrassed telling you about that. You, you, you picking up what I'm laying down? So, I mean, there's things that can move you greatly, right? And sometimes you, you don't know how to deal with it, okay? Now, some of you are really good with that. You just let it all out, and I love you for that, right? You just let the tears flow. You're just, you just, you, you, I mean, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, but... I guess I just have this idea of what a man's supposed to be like, you know. <laughs> Words are powerful, okay? Music is powerful, right? So they've been playing Eddie Money songs. You listen to, you listen to any just regular kind of classic rock radio. He died Friday morning, I think. Yeah, so, so I've kind of had, had a station on, on my truck that's been playing Eddie Money all weekend. I was like, oh, I forgot he had that song, right? Like, that's a good song, right? And then that made me think about when I first heard it or something I was doing with my buddies or my wife or something. You know, music can be powerful. Words can be powerful. And that's why fortunes are spent on putting words together in precisely the right way. Of course, words can communicate information on which life or death depends, right? Perhaps especially for the chief of firefighters over in Carmel, right? How you do things, lives can depend on 
the manual and the training and the procedures. So I, I just, I try and pick somebody out each week to either make fun of or, so thanks for being that guy today. So the pen is indeed mightier than the sword. When Christians talk about, quote, the power of the word, though, we mean something much greater. Much pop religion indeed gives the impression of being some sort of mood-making voodoo. Faith is then psychological, uh, say that word for me, thank you, into a harmless or even socially useful form of emotional escapism. Even as touching sentiments in a greeting card with blurry pictures can evoke a smile or a tear, so the appropriate scripture verses can provide just the right uplift in times of stress. All this, however, is simply the power of words. It differs from the power of the word, and look at what he says here, as much as a stuffed museum exhibit differs from a real tiger. Right? The word of God has power not because it is a word, but because it is God's word. Actors, witch doctors, advertisers, and politicians may hold their audiences spellbound, but their words cannot give life. God's word, whether announced by brilliant scholars or mumbled by illiterate peasants, has the power to make alive. When God speaks, much more so than E.F. Hutton, things happen. In the beginning, when there was nothing, God spoke and everything came into existence, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the spirit was hovering over the face of the deep, and verse 3, and God spoke. Let there be light, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is where John the Apostle picks up in his gospel, okay? In the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God, right? Okay? And, and He was the light of life, okay? At His Word, a stormy sea turns calm, right? Jesus says, quiet, hush. And sometimes we as parents or teachers would love this ability, Right? Quiet, and all of a sudden everybody's just hear a pin drop, right? It doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> a few fish and loaves multiply to feed thousands. A dead man walks out of his tomb alive, right? Lazarus, come forth. That's not a very good stone rolling away, right? The tomb, boom, bones open, and <laughs> I mean, here comes a Lazarus, and he's alive. I mean, Jesus just speaks it and it happens. Can you imagine being there? I mean, often I think about that when I'm teaching or reading through Scripture. And I'm like, wow, that's huge. I mean, that there's a storm and then all of a sudden Jesus says, be still. And I mean, I've been out in the, the wilderness and outside and I've had weather change rapidly on me before. But with Jesus, it's instantaneous. And someone who is dead, that I know is dead now, sits up, freaky, and wow, all at the same time. And he does it all by the power of his word, right? Um, the, the demons flee in terror. I mean, I can't even imagine that one. At the end of time, all the dead will appear before his judgment seat at his summons. This is God's living word. It's not empty human talk. So spectacular effects, however, are one thing, and real spiritual power is still another. Which is easier, asked our Lord, to say, and let's read it together, your sins are forgiven? Who, after all, can test such a statement? It seems far more difficult to say to a paralytic, get up and walk, right? Oh yeah, I can say I can forgive you, but can I tell you to get up and walk? <laughs> What's the problem, okay? When you say get up and walk, everyone can see whether it worked or not, correct? 
While medical technology can cure some forms of paralysis, what physician can heal the soul wasted by the deadly cancer of sin? That is, in fact, infinitely more difficult. As a sign and proof that Jesus had this greater power, he exercised his lesser power and said, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus' greater power is that he can forgive sins. Okay? His lesser power is that he's got power over the physical world. Sometimes we as sinners want Jesus to show his power in this lesser way. We want the physical stuff, and we forget about the greater stuff, which is eternal life. Okay? So this power to impart God's own forgiveness, life, and salvation, almost done. Christ is placed now into his gospel. Let's read it together. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. So through his word, the disciples were made clean. And by the repeating of the same word, others will come to faith till the end of time. In nature, even the most promising soil remains dead and unproductive unless it receives a seed bearing within it the gift of life. Just so the word of God is that seed which alone contains and transmits the secret of spiritual life. Therefore, St. Paul calls the gospel quite literally the dynamic of God for salvation. He also says that, let's read it together, faith comes from hearing through the word about Christ. So through this gospel, St. Paul had now become the father to the Corinthians. That is, he had given them life in Christ. Last paragraph, then we're done. God is not content, however, to communicate his love to his holy bride, the church, only in words. The Lord, whose mercies are new every morning, surrounds his people with tangible tokens and proofs of his kindness. He has put his saving gospel also into the form of sacraments, baptism and holy supper in which the divine gifts and promises are attached to the earthly elements of water, bread, and wine. So the one gospel comes to us in the divinely given forms or modes of word and sacraments. These various modes of the one gospel we call the means of grace. They are the channels through which the river of God's salvation flows to us. Okay? Name two things that I did not see or hear about when I watched the Traders Point worship service from two weeks ago. Baptism, Lord's Supper, and I would add absolute absolution. Not a single time did I hear the pastors or any of the so-called worship leaders do what Jesus commanded the apostles to do, which was to forgive sins. Nor did I hear anything about baptism or see anything or the Lord's Supper. Okay? So you want to ask me where the Christian church is? I think you know the answer. All right? Yes, ma'am. With so Amen. Well said. Any rebuttal or other comments? Sorry, Lord, did I say something wrong? All right. Okay, let's stand and close with Lord's Prayer. Thank you all very much. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen. Amen.